If I ask you right now, where's the most kind of extraordinary place you could possibly record a podcast guest from? And I'm not talking about my little confines here. I'm talking about my guests' confines. Well, you're going to find a really interesting answer to that question as I introduce to you my guest today, who is, well, let me ask him the question right now. First of all, I'm just going to introduce him and say, welcome to the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, Paul Trammell. But I got to ask you this question, man. Where are you on the face of this earth right now podcasting from? I am inside my sailboat, Windflower, and Windflower is floating in Hatchet Bay, which is a very well-protected anchorage on the island of Eleuthera in the Bahamas. Okay, so let me get this straight. I am podcasting from Madison, Wisconsin, where currently the temperature outside is 28 degrees Fahrenheit, and you are in the Bahamas, and I think you mentioned before I hit record it was 78 degrees? 79. Oh, 79. So it's it's getting closer. <laughs> it's almost hot. It's almost 80 degrees. Give me a flipping break. But let me tell you, you're living the dream. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to you, because obviously the nonfiction brand podcast is uh, about people who are living their completely true, completely you brands and lives. I, I don't think there's a separation between the two. When it comes to personal branding, my opinion is, and my not so humble opinion is, that a personal brand should be completely reflective of the person that is being branded. And when I saw a write-up about you and what you're doing, I'm like, I got to talk to this guy because he's living the life. I mean, describe for us, for us humble listeners, what your typical month is like wherever you are around the world. Wow. Well, let's see. When I'm in the Bahamas, I'm often moving quite a bit, so I will explore different islands as the weather permits. Here, the wind moves around a good bit. It'll come from different directions. So we're, everybody that's here is watching the weather all the time, and we occasionally have to move to different anchorages or different islands uh, just because the wind is going to start blowing from a new direction. So a typical month in the Bahamas is a good bit of sailing just from island to island. Some, some crossings take half day or a day to cross an open body of water, but a lot of short sails between islands. And then when I'm in an anchorage, I will often go snorkeling, free diving, spear fishing. And if there's any surf, I'm definitely trying to go surfing. That's one of the reasons I'm here in Hatchet Bay. There's there's surf here. So I'm very often free diving and spear fishing. That's kind of an almost everyday thing. And sometimes I get to surf when I'm in the Bahamas. And I also work for my boat. So almost every day, there's going to be some some writing going on, uh, some podcasting as well. Yeah. Did you hear that? I certainly did. He didn't mention Slack. He didn't mention Zoom. He didn't mention Microsoft Outlook. He didn't mention Excel spreadsheets. He didn't mention any of that stuff. Oh my God. No. Paul Drammel is living the life that a whole lot of us fantasize about. And I, I want to talk to you about that because this was a conscious choice. Now, we'll talk about all the stuff you're doing, the fact that you've got books up on Amazon that are available and, and things like that and the reasons why. But here's the thing. I found out about Paul on one of my favorite services that I use as a podcaster, and that is Podmatch. Literally, I didn't know anything about this guy until I was matched via Podmatch as someone who might be 
uh, appropriate for this podcast. Well, when I saw his story, living on a sailboat, love talking about sobriety, riding, sailing, chasing dreams, and designing an ideal life instead of taking the path of least resistance, I, I, I just had to talk to you. But let me ask you this question. When you say, instead of taking the path of least resistance, what do you mean? Uh, okay. I think it's important for everybody to think about their lives and what they're doing and what they want to get out of their lives instead of just doing what everybody else is doing. Uh, it's, it's, it's an easier decision to just sort of see what the people around you are doing and do the same thing. But that rarely leads to happiness, and fulfillment and an interesting life. So instead of the, the path of least resistance, I try to design my life in a way that's going to make me happy and it's going to be interesting and it's going to be fun. So that's what's led me to where I am now. I gave up my old life and I just created a new one. And I started, I, I did that uh, about five years ago. I mean, it was, it was a process, it took a little bit of time, but, but here I am doing exactly what I want to do. That's amazing to me. Some of us would say, wow, you're living that free spirit life. And I would absolutely agree with that. But I can see the kind of strategic underpinnings of it as well. The fact is, mm -hmm. you're on a podcast with some dude in Wisconsin, and you're pursuing being a podcast guest as part of a strategy, right? And yeah. why, why, oh, why are you on my podcast, Paul? Well, in order to live on a sailboat, sailing around the different places, in the tropics or wherever you want to go, you either have to have a bunch of money already or you need to be making money while you're sailing. So I'm in the second camp there. I need to be making money while sailing. And that's one of the biggest questions that we all have to ask ourselves when we try to uh, take on this lifestyle. And so I write books. I, I write books and that is my entire source of income. And in order to write books and have a source of income, you need to, uh, you need to advertise, you need to get your name out there and you need to be uh, in the public eye. So, I have to do all that on my own because I don't have a publisher. I'm self-published. Uh, I have to do all my own advertising. I have to do my own promotion. Uh, I'm my own, my own PR guy, among everything else. So being on podcasts is a great way to get out there. Uh, I also have my own podcast. You know, and that's, that is all. this is all to support uh, my writing because no one's going to buy a book if they don't know who you are. You need to, it's up to us to, to get out there and do that, do that promotion. Let me underline what you just said. No one's going to buy your book if they don't know who you are. That is obviously true, but that is oblivious to many people. They don't understand that. And the best authors, yeah. of course, are very well known. But which came first, the being well known or the being an author that makes you well known? Well, that's a chicken and egg question. I mean, let's face it, uh, nobody knew who Stephen King was before he wrote a huge hit novel and then turns out novels like they're, uh, I don't know, saltwater taffy. I don't know. He just, uh, he, he turns them out like crazy, but he's already built a brand. I mean, if Stephen, I'm not saying Stephen King couldn't write a traditional romance novel, but he's not. He's writing in a very specific genre of stuff that he's known for. Occasionally, he'll vary out of his lane a little bit, but it's not really out of his lane. Like, one of his major successes has been a book about becoming a writer and what it takes right. to write a book. So that's still within his branded uh, lane, if you will. But the fact that you are living the life you want but still doing the work you need to do to, 
to support your brand is to me pretty impressive. Listeners to the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, you should check out Paul's website at paultrammell.com. That's T-R-A-M-M-E-L-L.com. You'll know you're there when you get to a website that could actually make some of us seasick. Because on the homepage, <laughs> there's a looping video that is just beautiful of what appears to be either a sunrise or a sunset, the uh, sailboat cutting through the waves, and literally you put everybody in the cockpit of that boat on your homepage. That's pretty darn cool. One right. of the other things I want to talk about is obviously you're living the, the life of uh, people who want to sail as a full-time endeavor. You're supporting mm -hmm. that endeavor through writing books. But one of the things about your personal brand that impresses me is that you're very open and honest about why you're sailing instead of doing other things. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. In 2015, uh, February of 2015, I quit drinking. And that, that really changed my, my life dramatically. And uh, I'm not a, a group therapy kind of person, so I didn't go to AA. Uh, and I just sort of made up my own system. That actually became my first book. That, that system of how to quit drinking became the book Alcoholics Not Anonymous. And... And as, as the title suggests, my philosophy, one of my philosophies on quitting drinking is to not be anonymous, just to get right out there and say, it, hey, I don't drink anymore. And that allows other people to know what you're doing and to, to help any way they can. And it also normalizes not drinking. If we're all hiding and being anonymous, not letting anybody know, uh, it, it makes us all feel like we're, we're somehow the, the weirdos. But uh, so I, I, I'm all about just coming out and saying, hey, I don't drink. I don't drink alcohol anymore. Had, had enough of it for one one lifetime, three lifetimes probably. So anyway, one of the one of the methods uh, that I made up for myself was I would I would save cash. I would take cash that I would otherwise spend on beer, put it in a box, and I uh, would take it out and look at it. Sometimes you know, look at the, the handful of cash that I'm saving, and then and then I thought I should spend this on something cool for a, my one year of sobriety, and I spent it on a sailing class. And I fell in love with sailing. And I, and I decided, I, I kind of remembered an old dream I had to, to be a sailor, to sail long distances. And you can't do that. You need to drink a large amount of alcohol every day. You're not going to be a long distance sailor. You can't do it. So I, 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 so being sober reminded me, now I can do that. So why not? Why not do that? Uh, so the, the next question, of course, was how do I make money at it? And um, that's, that's where I finally came up with the idea of writing. But my first book is how it all started, the book about how to quit drinking. That's interesting. So you literally took a, what a lot of people would consider a deep, dark secret that you would never want to show to the world, and you've really <laughs> centered it in your life in a way that is, is, is staring the bear right in the face and letting yes. other people know that I have this bear in my life. So please yeah. help me with that. Yeah, exactly. Why not? I mean, a lot of people have problem drinking. I mean, a very large percentage of people in this world have a problem with alcohol. It's just, it's an extremely addictive drug. It's extremely destructive and it's extremely available and it's extremely accepted. And that's a bad combination. So why not come right out and say, hey, I don't drink anymore. And not only that, my life is so much better because of it. Look, what, look where I am, look what I'm doing. You know, I, I'm all about promoting things that I like that have helped me and, and made my life better. I'm all about sharing whatever I've learned in this world. 
that's one of the reasons that I write. One of the biggest things I've learned in this world is that if, if you have a problem drinking, life way better if you can get sober and never drink again. It's, and it's not that hard. I mean, it's, it's difficult, it's hard, but it's not as hard as living a, a life of an alcoholic. One of the things that we talk about a lot on this podcast is the idea that a brand is essentially you've got to get down to the core of who you are, what you do, and how you do it. You have to understand very deeply the core aspects of who you as an individual are. Now, that doesn't cover every base about who you are, but it's literally the stuff that cannot, will not change. So as listeners know, I like a concept I use called the key three. What are your key principles? The key three, and there are three principles. Oh, it looks like we lost Paul for a second. Hopefully he'll jump back in, but that's what happens with technology, especially when you're on a boat in the Bahamas. Now, I'm going to keep on going with the hopes that he's going to try logging back in in a second, and he just did, and he's joining me back again. You know, technology is hard enough when you're stationary and you're plugged into <laughs> everything, but imagine yourself on a constantly moving, dynamic platform that, you know, is affected by weather, that's affected by seagulls, that's affected by just about anything, so... If we drop off again, just hop back on. I'll keep the the yeah, yeah, no session live. But um, what I was saying was um, you've obviously done a lot of work on yourself, not only on the coming to terms with sobriety and any past addictions and stuff like that, but you've also done, I think, I'm guessing, a lot of work on discovering the key aspects of who you are. And again, I was describing the key three concept, which is, for me, three words, phrases, or concepts that consistently, concisely define exactly who you are, what you do, and how you do it in a way that allows you to be centered, but also pivot. Meaning, if I said I was a writer, that would be true. I am a copywriter for advertising and marketing. But if you get down to the core of it, I'm not so much a writer as da, 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 a performer. I will write performatively. I will do podcasts and live streams performatively. I find it easier to live stream and do podcasts than I do write. Why? Because I am a performer down at the very bottom of that. Always, too, I'm always creative. I have to be involved with creative stuff. Now, I'm guessing that's probably one of your key concepts or foundational keystones as well. Yeah, and I bet we have something in common because I used to have a wall in my house that looked a lot like the one behind you. Yeah. Guitars and amplifiers. <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, you know, that, that's a, definitely a signifier of why creativity is so important to me. I mean, truth be told, part of my writing process is when I get kind of stuck, I grab a guitar and I play it for a while. And there's almost a perfect correlation between me getting stuck, getting out of my chair, putting the strap over my shoulder, hitting a note or strumming a chord, and boom, I have an idea now. I put the guitar back down and I start typing. I'm going to have to try that. I haven't tried that. Um, I, w I was a performing guitar player for a long time as well. But more than a guitar player and more than a writer, I have always been an artist one sort or another. I, I was heavy into painting for a long time, oil paintings, and I was a performing musician for a long time as well. So writing is is uh, 
the creative artistic outlet that I'm that I'm using now. Well, and, and it makes sense because you're literally in probably the most perfect writing venue possible. I mean, I, I don't know about you, yeah. but I need to be put blinders on almost to actually focus yeah. on writing. And you are in, you know, the cabin of your boat. And I'm mm -hmm. not suggesting that you do all your writing there, but I'm guessing a lot of it happens there. And it forces yeah. you to focus because you don't have a house full of crap that needs to be done. Although I understand there's always something to fix or work on on a boat. So I, I don't belittle that, but the ability to focus based on where you are has got to be very helpful, especially when you've got that very lightweight technology necessary to write. Now, I, I don't know if you write on a legal pad or, you know, on a computer, but still it's incredibly portable. I mean, seriously. Yeah, it is. Living on a boat is uh, a great place to be as a writer. And not only that, I'm a solo sailor. It's just me on the boat. There's no one here to distract me. So it's a great environment to write. And it is where I do all my writing. Uh, obviously, I mean, I, I don't go to shore to write. Uh, I'm on the boat. Uh, I do occasionally write on a, a notebook, but uh, otherwise it's on a laptop computer. So it's extremely portable. And, you know, like you said, it's, it's a great environment. I, I couldn't imagine a better uh, you know, place to be, to be a writer, you know, you know, a cabin in the woods, maybe I do. I do occasionally have to, uh, sail and, uh, there's always, no matter where you are, you know, a, a writer always has a distraction. There's always something else you could be doing. So you have to, you have to have, uh, quite a bit of, um, motivation. You have to be a self-starter. You have to be a discipline. You know, I can always go out and go swimming, spear fishing, surfing. You know, you know, there's, there's always something else to do. Not always. Actually, sometimes there's nothing else to do because sometimes I'm at anchor and it's blowing 25, 30 knots outside and there, there is nothing else to do. You're not going sailing. You're not going swimming. You're not, you're not going to do it. You're not going anywhere. It's just nasty out. And, and those are great days to, to sit and write. You know? um, it's, it's a great, it's an excellent profession or hobby for a sailor because there are often times when there's, there is nothing to do. You're, kind of, you're stuck on this boat. Uh, it would be easy to, to get bored and, to, you know, if, if I didn't have this, uh, you've got to have something. If you're a sailor, you got to have something to do in this kind of days. You certainly do. I mean, we'll talk about the books that you've written, but the fact is, I, I guess today I want to talk more about the fact that you're self-publishing. Mm -hmm. Again, there are a lot of listeners to this podcast who are well aware that I've also self-published my books. And there's this mystique about publishing that it's some type of half magic, half needing millions of dollars to do, or there's always a wizard behind a curtain called an editor and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It seems like an impossible thing to do. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's not impossible. It's easier now than it's ever been in the world. And I'm just going to tee up this question to you, Paul, which is your self-publishing from a boat in the Bahamas. Do you ever have to go to a printer? Do you ever have to meet with an editor in person? Do you ever have to do any of that stuff? Or can you literally be on a boat in the middle of an ocean and self-publish a book at any time you want? Yes, everything except for middle of the ocean. I think once Starlink uh, comes on board, that'll that'll be a possibility. As it is now, I've got to be uh, you know in range of a, a cell phone tower, but that's pretty easy. Pretty much everywhere where people live, there are cell phone towers these days. So uh, I, I published my last two books when I was in Boca del Toro, Panama. I, I do not 
meet with editor. I don't have editors. I don't have publishers. I don't need a printer. It, it all happens on the computer. It's very, I mean, it takes time. I spend a few days at, in the, at the publishing process. I think I figured once to publish a, a Kindle ebook and a paperback, once the book is completely finished, it takes about three days of, of full-time work to go through everything, for me anyway. But that's easy compared to having to write 100 letters to, to 100 different publishers and get rejected by 99 of them and, you know, and, and hope to get lucky for that one. You, you just do it now. You just, you just go right on to uh, Kindle Direct Publishing and, and answer all their questions, format stuff the way it's supposed to be formatted and uh, upload what needs to be uploaded. And then I go to the United States government copyright website and I copyright my work. I do that first, actually. I do that, and then I publish. You, know, you need to make a book cover. There's, there's quite a bit to it, but you just do it. You know, it's, it's what you're doing. It's, and it's not on the computer. It's not that hard. I used to be a, a carpenter. That's what I did for a living most of my life. Writing and, and typing on the computer. You know, although it's hard, it's not, it's not driving to, to a job every. Day. Not in BP and unloading a truck with tools and putting on the, the earmuffs so I don't you know, blow my ears out. And, Know, use loud tools all day. It's not, not that hard. It's just not that hard. Um, it's mentally hard. It's, it's mind work, not physical work. And the beauty of it is, if you're a do-it-yourself oriented person, uh, which I certainly am, and it sounds like you are as well, you have the means of production in your hands in the form of a laptop. And again, I use the same thing, mm -hmm. Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing. You know, design my own yeah. covers, do my own editing, and every misspelling or bad comma or anything in the book, I claim 100% as my own because I'm like you. I don't even hire proofers or editors. I put myself yeah. in that book. So the mistakes, that's part of who I am. And frankly, it's part of my brand. I gave up on being perfect a long time ago because you want to talk <laughs> about a painful life. Try to be perfect every day of your life. Instead, how about be perfectly adventurous or perfectly audacious and do things like, yeah. you know what? I think I've got a book in me. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to self-publish it. And if the only copy I ever sell is to my mother, that's how it's going to roll. But here's sure. the thing. In doing that, you unlock a lot of things in yourself. Did you discover things about yourself while writing your first book, second book, third book? that really surprised yourself when it came down to who you are, what you do, and how you do it? Yes, definitely. Three of, of the books that I've written have been uh, sailing nonfiction. And, you know, in those I'm writing about sailing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to share with the reader the experience and the emotions of, of sailing a boat. You know, imagine, imagine what it's like to be 300 miles from land, and it's the fourth day that you've been out there, middle of your you know, middle of an eight-day trip and you're by yourself you're on a sailboat and the sun sets and you watch the sun go down and the stars come out and the wind is just right and, and the the waves are calm you're just you're just cruising along silently with just the wind power there's no motor you know, there's not there's nothing making noise the boat is just is just like this living creature that's pulling you along and you look up and you see all the stars millions of them you see shooting stars and you see the reflection of the moon on the ocean. It's just so incredibly beautiful. And it is just such a wonderful experience. And so I try to share that with, with the readers. And in order to share that with the readers, I have to go deep inside of myself. And I have to pull those emotions out. And, and in doing that, you learn what it is you love about what you're doing. 
in this case, what what, it, what is it that I love about sailing? Uh, you, you learn that. And, and then when you learn what you love about sailing or whatever it is you're doing, you're, you're learning what makes you happy and what you enjoy and what makes life meaningful. And those are all crucial things to know about yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to be happy. And I think that's uh, epidemic, you know, in the world as well. A lot of people just are not fulfilled. And, and like we said earlier, it's probably because they are sort of running down a track that's laid out ahead of them, you know, laid out for them, or they perceive that it's been laid out for them. So they're, so they're making decisions based on what everybody else is doing instead of, instead of being introspective, trying to figure out what it is that makes them happy. And I think writing nonfiction does that for me. What was the hardest thing for you in getting started as a writer, especially one that wanted to share something that a lot of people would consider uncharitable? Oh, the hardest thing about getting started as a writer, I think the, the discipline is probably the hardest thing. I mean, I've, I've said over and over again, the hardest part about writing is clicking on the, the word icon at the bottom of the screen of my computer. Because when you turn your computer on, it's so much more fun to go you know, surf the internet, go on Facebook and, and then check and see if you have any mail and, and then pop around to all your other little sites you want to see. So it's really simple. The hardest thing about being a writer is... is is actually sitting down to write. It's putting your butt in the chair and, and getting out your, your pen, putting pen to paper or, or turning on Word on your computer and, and starting to type. It is, it is very common for me, I think for all writers, to sit down and think, oh my goodness, I don't know where this story is going. I just, I just can't write today. I'm not inspired. I don't know what's going to happen story, whatever, whatever, whatever. There's a million excuses. And then you start thinking, well, I, you know, I could, I could sweep the floor right now. And you get up and you sweep the floor. I mean, literally, like I sit down to write and decide I really have to sweep the floor right now. It's, it's ridiculous. So really the hardest thing, it's just simple. The hardest thing about writing is actually sitting down to write and, and beginning. The yeah. ball starts rolling. I couldn't agree more because obviously I write for a living or things I have no passion about. I'll be honest. Plywood. I've written about plywood. I've written about <laughs> shoe stores and retail stores and half off this week only. Oh. I've done all that stuff. Yeah. And when you have to write professionally and you have to be creative, whenever anyone turns on the creative light, you learn how to do it. And the way I learned how to do it is exactly what you said. You open up a new document or a get out a fresh sheet of paper and you start mm -hmm. writing. Literally. Yeah. In the case of me, yeah. I'm a touch typist, more or less, with plenty of mistakes. Let me be clear about that. But I put my fingers on the home row, ASDF, uh, GHJK, whatever, and start typing. And typing uh -huh. leads to writing. There's an old uh, thing about Jack Kerouac that, uh, you know, he wrote the famous opuses of, uh, you know, the, the, the beat poets and stuff like that. <laughs> On the road is probably his most famous thing. Yep. One of his critics, Truman Capote, I think it was Truman Capote or Norman Mailer said, that's not writing, that's typing. Now, that was a slam, but <laughs> there's a little bit of truth there. The relationship to typing and writing is very close because the hardest thing is to start typing. The transfer from, I find for myself, from typing to writing happens and I don't even know when it happened. It just, I'm just typing and all of a sudden I have an idea and things start flowing and all of a sudden I've got a page done. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have to give yourself permission to, to write junk because 
that's that's a lot of what's going to happen. And uh, that you know that you need to get your first draft written when you're trying to write a book. You've got to have something on the paper. You can't edit a blank page. I stole that from someone else. You have to write something. You, you have to give yourself permission to write badly. I nice to write music, and I would improvise. You know, the way that I wrote it was was improvisational. I didn't sit down and, and think about what I was going to write before I wrote it. Never. That, that's I don't even know if that's possible. And maybe Beethoven did that. But the way I wrote music is I would pick up a guitar and I would spend an hour improvising, and I did that every day. I, I, that was part of my daily practice was improvisation, and it was occasionally during improvisation. I would realize this, this, what I'm doing right now, it could be a song. That's, that's going to be a song. So I'd either memorize it or record it or write it down. And, and uh, that's, that's how songs come about. And it's similar to writing. You have to actually be writing without telling yourself this is going to be great. These, this sentence I'm writing right now is going to be in my book. You know, it might, it might not. It might lead it to other thoughts. But you have to actually be writing in order to have something to edit later. The editing, you know. For my style of writing, it's, it's the editing and the rewriting that actually makes the book. But you can't do that without a rough draft. Yeah, well, it's funny. I think our processes are very similar. And uh, it's not unlike the process that's illustrated in the recent uh, documentary Get Back about the final album the Beatles put together. Peter Jackson edited or is the director. He took old footage from a previous documentary. And now there's this documentary series about the Beatles doing their final performance on the roof. Remember that? The roof of wherever in London? Yeah. Fascinating. And the most fascinating part that a lot of people have pointed to is Paul McCartney playing not single notes on a bass, but chords on a bass like a guitar. And he's doing... And it just sounds like garbage. And then all of a sudden, about 45 seconds in, you hear... The core progression of Get Back. Jojo was a man, Tucson, Arizona. And you see the actual writing of one of their big hits right before your very eyes. And it wasn't a theoretical exercise like you described. It wasn't, uh, I walked in with an idea. It was, I walked in kind of with nothing and started doing the bass player equivalent of typing. And all of a sudden, some writing started happening that was truly, truly yeah. magical. You know, so check out that documentary, yeah. Get Back. What, what is it on Disney Plus? Maybe or HBO? I, I, I'm not sure which, but highly recommended. Obviously, technology. I mean, to me, it, it blows my mind that I'm talking to you on a sailboat in the Bahamas and, yeah. and we're doing it visually. I can see your face, I can see the, the background of the uh, cabin that you're in on your boat. And occasionally we have drop-offs. Yeah. I'm old enough to remember when you didn't call grandma and grandpa until Sunday night after the rates changed because it was too expensive to do a long-distance call. And even then, sometimes the connection wasn't that good. So the fact that we can yeah. do this at all is still like amazing and magical to me. And the, the thing that trying to turn the corner and relate it back to the, the theme of this podcast is you're out in the middle of literally nowhere and you're still able to project your personal brand to let people know about the products that you have for sale that can keep you sailing. Cause let's face yes. it, you don't do much sailing without some sales. And uh, uh, you know, you that amazes me to too. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, living on a sailboat, 
add anchor in places like the Bahamas is much less expensive than paying a mortgage on a house or paying rent and uh, paying auto insurance and buying gas for your car and driving to work. Uh, it's a less expensive lifestyle if you don't want to spend money. You can spend as much money as you want, of course, too, uh, doing this. But the way I do it is very inexpensive, and that allows me to live at a very low enough income level until until I get big and famous and they're and they're making movies about out of my books. You know, then that's and that's coming. Be patient. That's coming. But yes, uh, it's great to be able to just be out here on a boat and writing and focusing, you know, all my attention on on writing books and also the marketing of the books, which is what we're doing right now. Essentially, it's uh, it's it's amazing that it can be done. It wasn't that long ago that when you sailed to the Bahamas, you know, nobody heard from you until you got back, and then you told all your stories. And now we share. You know, every every day I'm posting pictures on Instagram talking to you and i'm interviewing people I, inter- I interviewed another sailor yesterday and was just editing her uh, uh that podcast episode before we started talking so yeah we're all we're all connected now and i think that's wonderful um you know we, we can turn it off and we we can disconnect whenever we want to out here but it's great to be connected and being connected yeah. is going to be what allows you to continue to do this i mean Again, you can go to amazon.com and look up yeah. paul trammell's name and you're going to see an entire list of self-published books that he's done, including, I believe his first one is called Alcoholics Non-Anonymous, A Modern Way to Quit Drinking. That came out in 2017. Was that your first book, Alcoholics Non-Anonymous? That was my first book. That came about because I was not anonymous. I came out on Facebook, said, hey, everybody, I haven't had a beer in seven days seven days and i've never gone seven days without drinking a beer and uh, I, i'm trying to quit and i had hundreds of people you know responding to that post liking it giving me encouragement so i kept doing it you know when i hit 30 days i said how can you guys believe you know i've, I've actually gone a month now one month in, and I, and i and i kept sharing my experiences and before long strangers started sending me direct messages saying you know i see your post and i'm inspired and um I have a real problem and I want to quit trying to quit. How do you, I know, how did you handle this kind of situation? Eventually I realized I've given out so much advice and I've developed my own technique. Uh, I I could compile all this and make a book out of it. And I've always wanted to write a book. I'm just like most people who say, yeah, I've always wanted to write a book. I always wanted to write a book too. I always thought it was just too big of an undertaking to to do. But anyway, I wrote a a short, concise, easy to read, easy to follow book with, with just hands-on suggestions things you can actually do today to quit drink. If you do this, 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 and this, you're, you're going you're gonna to have a very good chance of kicking the habit. And, and I tell you what, one of the greatest feelings in life and better than any high from any drug that I've ever felt is knowing that I help somebody quit drink. And when I, when I get a comment on the book, someone says, you, you helped me, you helped me quit drinking. And that, and that saved my life from destruction and that, and because of that, you know, my marriage is still together and I'm still in the house raising my children. That happens. That happens a lot. It's just it's just I'm feeling it right now. Like, it's just fantastic. It is a better high than I've ever felt, you know, um, and I've, I've felt I've felt a handful of different ones, you know. Yeah. And I want to point out the fact that you could never have you could never feel that way had you not gotten out there and told your completely true, completely you story. You know, yeah. the, the fact is, 
Hey, I made it seven days without a beer. Some people are going to scoff and go, that's nothing, dude, or whatever. There are always going to be haters out there that'll say stuff like that. Pay no attention to them. Pay attention to the ones that are the people you're helping simply by the fact that you're, you're uncovering the big hidden secret and not making a secret and saying, this is just the way it is because this is me. This is my story. This is my truth. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's going to resonate with it, but the ones that do are going to resonate with it hugely in a way that is based on the authenticity in which you shared that story. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I I don't recall uh, any haters. I mean, that, it might have happened. I I just forgot it. I, I don't let that. You know, the internet's full of trolls. Uh, you just don't just completely disregard them. But I, all I got was support. Literally, all I got was support. Most everybody out there is is willing to to look at someone who's helping themselves and bettering their lives and say good job. You know, good job. And a lot of them are going to say they're going to say good job, and they're going to be thinking, wow, like. He did that. Maybe I can do it too. And that's how it all happened. I ran into a friend of mine at a party and he didn't have a beer in his hand. And, and I remember he looked, he looked good. He looked, he looked happy. He was well-dressed, clean cut. Just, he just, I mean, he, had, he just had a good, healthy look about him. And he did not have a beer in his hand. And I had, I had a 12 pack, you know, at my feet. And I said, Hey, Hey Jim, how you doing? You, well, you want a beer? And he said, uh, no, no, I quit drinking. Oh, good grief. Really? How, how'd you do it? How long? He said, well, I, I quit drinking a year ago and I did it because my brother died. Now, his brother was younger than me at the time. I was in my, my mid forties. His brother was a little bit younger than me. And the guy drank himself to death from one night of drinking too much liquor. He, he drank himself to death slowly and died a long, slow death. It drug itself out over years. It, it ended in internal organ failure, a horrible way to go. And so because Jim was willing to say, to share that with me, it, it was the last straw, the spark in my head that it was already, you know, the, the tender, the, the fuel for the fire was already in my head. It had been there. I knew I had a problem. And I knew I had to quit. And just hearing that somebody else did it, you know, made me believe that I could do it too. So I try to be that guy for other people. And I have been. And it's a wonderful thing. You know, if, if, I, if, if that's all I accomplish in my, in my life, and that's something, that's something big. It makes me know that I'm going to leave some sort of a positive mark on this planet. It reminds me of the Margaret Mead quote that a lot of people use all the time. I'm going to butcher it, so please forgive me, but it's never underestimate the power of a small group of people to make change in the world. In fact, that's the only way change happens. Modify that to never underestimate the power of one person to change the world. Yeah, exactly. That change happens because... Well, in I'm guessing in your case, you recognize the realness of the situation and how it related to you. And it was a one-to-one. And right. that's the thing. Every author understands this. Everything I write is a one-to-one communication. Now, mm-hmm. hopefully many people will read the book, but I'm really only writing for one person. And consequently, I'm sharing of myself to one person. I think that might make it a little easier for people who are a little bit afraid of sharing of themselves. You aren't broadcasting it to the world. Mm-hmm. You're having a conversation with someone who cares about you, even if they don't know you, one at a time. And that, to me, is an empowering way of looking at telling your completely true story about who you are, what you do, and how you do it, where you've been, your expertise, your experience. Because let me tell you, everybody has a different set of life experiences and everybody the only thing you truly own is your story and your voice 
Now, I want to talk about how the bravery that you displayed in your first book carried on into your second book. I think it's your second. Becoming a Sailor, a Single-Hand Sailing Adventure. I mean, yeah. that right now, there are probably people listening to this going, are you flipping kidding me? Going out on a boat by yourself? In, and not on a lake, but into an ocean? Are you insane? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe a little. <laughs> well, why did you uh, write yeah. that book? And, and tell us about that book, Becoming a Sailor, A Single Hand yeah. Sailing Adventure. I wrote that book because I knew that I was going through a very exciting period of my life. And I knew that I was about to embark on an adventure that I would never be able to repeat. I knew I was going to experience new and great things and face my fears. You know, one of the quotes in the book is that fear is that there for us to face adventure awaits on the other side. So I was not a sailor till I bought that class. I bought a one week sailing class after one year of sobriety. And, and then I, I went and got a good bit of experience quickly on sail, different sailboats. And later that same year, I bought my first sailboat, 30 foot. I, it was like $7,000. An inexpensive 30-foot boat. I bought it on the west coast of Florida in Tampa Bay, and I needed to get it back to St. Augustine, east coast of Florida. So by way of the ocean, which is what I was determined to do, that's a 1,000-mile journey. And uh, I was single at the time, and I was determined to sail the boat solo. I've been reading about solo sailing, and I was just, I was just enthralled with it. So I had to face a lot of fears. I, I didn't know. I mean, I barely knew what the heck I was doing, to be honest with you. I, I had been educating myself quite a bit. I had I'd probably read 20 different sailing nonfiction books by then. I'd taken the one-week class. I've been on a couple of offshore trips. I spent a month in Tampa Bay learning how to sail that boat alone. And then I took off. I took off a three-day voyage from there, a three-day offshore voyage from there to the Dry Tortugas, and then another three-day voyage to Miami, and then another three- or four-day voyage from there to St. Augustine. And when I left Tampa Bay, I didn't know if I was going to enjoy it or be terrified. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to be able to sleep 20 minutes at a time while the boat is moved under autopilot. I didn't know if the boat was going to just break in half and sink. There's a lot of unknowns. And I just decided, you know, I'm just going for it. It's just me. I'm not risking anybody else's skin. It's just me. And uh, I'm just going to go for it. And when I got that boat, the Tortugas, and I rested a few days, and I got it to Miami, and visited an old friend and rested a few days. And then I got that boat to St. Augustine. And when I got to St. Augustine and got to my mooring, I had a, I'd rented a mooring ball right in front of a very iconic St. Augustine lighthouse. When I, when, I, when I caught that mooring ball with the boat hook and pulled it up and tied off to it, it was, it was absolutely incredible. So, Paul, let me, let me back you up because you started breaking up right when you were describing that feeling when you, you grabbed that mooring ball at St. Augustine. How yeah. did you feel? What what was that like? It was it was wonderful and it was disorienting and it was magical. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm there in my hometown on this boat that I had just bought. It was disorienting because it was hard to believe that I had actually done it, that I'd actually got that boat, uh, you know, a thousand miles back to St. Augustine. And here I am tying up this boring ball and and looking at the lighthouse at St. Augustine, tying off, shutting the engine off, taking, you know, putting the sails down, and all. Um, Absolutely fantastic. I mean, I just, I don't know if I've ever been happier and more uh, surprised that I was really there, that it really happened. You know, you know, I don't know if you've ever done something and then you're just, you just have to take a few minutes to 
but to, to reassure yourself that it actually happened, that you're, you're, this is real, this is not a dream, like this really happened and here I am, it's, it's done, I've done it, it's over, and, and it was magical and fantastic and wonderful. And, and that's what I try to share in my telling nonfiction books, that feeling, all the feelings, all the fear too, all the hardships, all the times when you're freezing cold and wet, and scared, and it's nighttime and you don't know if you're doing the right thing or not, you don't know if the boat's gonna sink, you know, that, that happens too. But also, also the times when you're sailing and, and uh, you haven't seen anything for days and all of a sudden a whale jumps out of the water right in front of your boat. It's all of a sudden, like, that happens. You know, birds come and visit. Sometimes little, you'll be your way out there and all of a sudden a little songbird. You know, you can't even see land. Like, land's 100 miles away. And here's this little bird that comes and lands on the boat and hangs out. You know, a little, a little songbird. Like, what's, what is this bird doing here? So many wonderful things happen on a sailboat offshore. It's it's just it's just amazing, and, it, and, it's, and they're all things that you don't experience on land. Obviously, Paul has a wealth of stories to tell, and I think that if you're a listener to this podcast and you're enjoying this conversation with Paul Trammell, you definitely have to check out his books on Amazon.com. And again, just look up Paul P A U L Trammell T R A M M E L L, and you'll see the complete list including one we haven't mentioned yet, Journey to the Ragged Islands, The Gold Box, Chasing the Nomadic Dream, and others. They're all available on Amazon, and you certainly would help out one itinerant sailor be able to keep on sailing by buying one of those books. So definitely check that out. You've also got a podcast for people like me who are like adventure junkies, especially when it comes in podcast form. What's the name of your podcast? Offshore sailing and cruising with Paul Trammell. Oh, there you go. I know a lot of people fantasize about being able to take a boat and just go wherever they want to go. A lot of people have plans yeah. for, well, when I retire or when I make enough, enough money, you can start realizing that dream by checking out yes. that podcast with Paul Trammell and also picking up his <laughs> books on Amazon.com. Is there a social media channel that you're most active on if someone wanted to drop you a line? You can always catch me on Instagram. Uh, you can message me that way, too, without having to go through the whole friending process. You can just send me a DM uh, right on Instagram, trammel.paul. And, uh, and I post every day pictures from the islands here, sunrises, fish, underwater videos, uh, you know, surfing pictures. I'm trying to share the adventure. Now, I know that a lot of people want to do this, and they, and they live vicariously uh, through people that share. So that's a lot of a lot of what I do is is just trying to share the adventure with my books, uh, also with with uh, social media posts, trying to trying to share the adventure, share the every, things I've learned, you know, things yeah, that I've well, learned that are, that are good, and also keep alive and inspired people like me who are in the depths of winter here in right outside Madison, Wisconsin, where it is currently twenty eight degrees. I can't imagine. Yeah, I used to live in cold places, but um, I, I can't do it anymore. Those yeah. days are over. So if you want to live vicariously, Paul Trammell's someone who should be on your radar. Again, check him out at paultrammell.com, T-R-A-M-M-E-L-L.com. And you can find links to everything and ways to get in contact with him, follow him, listen to his podcast, etc. Paul, I want to thank you so much for being on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I really appreciate you getting out there and sharing your story, warts and all. The darkest parts, the lightest parts, all of it, because that really is what building a brand is about. It's about just sharing that which is uniquely yours, your story and your voice. 
Thank you for raising your voice. Thank you for sharing that voice on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I am your host, DP Knuton. I'd love for you to like, subscribe, refer, and review this podcast to others. But most of all, give it that review because that truly is what people use to figure out whether a podcast is worth listening to. Once again, I'm DP Knuton, and he is Paul Trammell. And I'll be talking at you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.